Well, good morning. It is really wonderful to see each and every one of you here. And would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for each and every one that is here. You know, we come here, dear Father, and we are ready for you. We know your kingdom is coming, but we also know that it is here. And we are expecting your presence, your power, the power of your Holy Spirit, because it is only through the power of your Holy Spirit that our lives can be renovated, that they can be transformed. We thank you so much for giving that, for giving us your Holy Spirit, for giving him to us. Thank you, dear Father. And I just pray that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth today will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My name is Andy Griggs. Um, if you will permit me, I just want to tell you just a short little story as to why I'm up here giving the message to you today. It was about two months ago, I was in the restaurant with George, our senior pastor, at uh, the Heathrow Airport in London, England, coming back from the Alpha Conference. And George asked me, if I would have any interest in giving the message here at Renovation. Well, it was all I could do to keep myself and restrain myself from jumping up and yelling yay and giving him a big hug right there in the restaurant. I didn't do it. And the reason um, for that is because about a year earlier, God had laid on my heart to stand up here and give the message. But I, you know, I didn't tell anyone. I said nothing to a anyone except God. And I said, okay, I'm willing to do it, but I'll leave the timing up to you for confirmation. And then George asked me. Well, then about uh, three weeks ago, George comes and says, okay, Andy, he says, August 4th, you get to give the message, and here's the passage. Well, I go and I take a look at the passage. You know what? I want you guys to know, God has a sense of humor, okay? <laughs> this passage today and what George talked about last week with the rich young ruler, in many respects, that was me. Not the wealth, but my idol. My primary idol in my life was my job. It was my career. For many years, that was my idol. See, I was a senior level manager at financial services firm, so everything revolved around my job. I had some other small idols, but that was the primary idol. And like that rich young man, that ruler, my heart was wrapped around that, that. His heart was wrapped around his wealth and his possessions. Last week, George gave us an illustration with his jar. He said, you know, the way that you catch a monkey is you put something in the bottom of the jar. Monkey puts his hand in the jar, grabs a hold of it. Can't get his hand out. He won't let go. Just like that rich young ruler. He wouldn't let go of his wealth, his possessions. And just like me at the time, I would not let go of my career, my job in terms of my heart. I wouldn't let go so I could grasp the kingdom of God. So that's why I have titled this message today, Where is Your Heart? So if you'll just, um, if you have Bibles, uh, we want to go to God's Word. If you don't, we have some up here. Please come up here, grab one. You can also take it with you. Um, if you. If you need the Bible, we'd love to have you take it with us. 
And before I read, I want to just um, reiterate the point that this here, this is the infallible Word of God. This is the only standard and rule for our life and for our faith. So, I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 23. And I'm going to try to read this without my glasses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Take a look at these stat up here. The United States ranks seventh in the world in terms of wealth as measured by gross domestic product per capita and also by what is called purchasing power parity per capita. That's out of about 200 or so countries in the world. 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 per day. In the United States, that number is $136. So you can imagine that the rest of the world looks at us as being rich, as being wealthy. And I want you to sort of hang on to that as we unpack this. Okay? I tell you the truth when Jesus starts in verse 23. In the King James Version, it's, Verily I say to you, now, this was a common Jewish saying at the time when a teaching of very significant importance was being introduced. It's almost like Jesus would be saying to us today, hey, guys, listen, pay attention, pay close attention. This is really important. Okay? And when you look at the word hard, when he says it is hard for a rich man, the Greek word for that is duskulos which is the equivalent of impossible. So Jesus here is warning us. He is giving us a warning. And his warning is this, that we should not, we've got to be careful in our hearts to put up any barrier or any obstacle that will get in the way of us completely following him. So on your handout, it would be the barrier or obstacle that would be in the way. You know, this rich young ruler, 
He had many, many, many material blessings. And yet, these blessings had begun to consume him to the point that his heart was wrapped tightly around these things, his wealth, these possessions. And Jesus warns us about this. In Matthew 6.24, he says, We cannot serve two masters, that we will either hate the one and love the other, or we will be devoted to one and despise the other. But we cannot serve both God and money. Now, what he's not telling us here, what he's not saying, is that we can't enjoy things. God wants us to enjoy the goodness of his created world. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it tells us, it says that, first it says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, but for all of us to put our hope in God who richly provides us everything who richly provides us everything we need for our enjoyment. So what we have to be careful of are things that we don't let those consume us, that we don't covet them. Because when we begin to covet these things, what happens is we push God out. And this becomes a barrier. Now let's face it. Our hearts are naturally drawn toward the things of this world, aren't they? When we let these things, when we begin to trust in these things for our security. And we're all tempted to do this, aren't we? To begin to trust in things. That could be money. It could be jobs. It could be family. It could be wealth. But when we begin to trust in them for our security, then what happens is our hearts are inclined away from God and toward these things. And they can quickly become an idol. They can quickly become our master. And this is, this is really old. It goes back centuries. In Ezekiel 14.3, we see where it says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. They have put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Then he asked, should he let them inquire of him? And then in Matthew, again in chapter 6, so full of wisdom, verses 19 through 21, he tells us about not storing up treasures here on earth for ourselves, where moth and rust will destroy, and thieves can break in and steal. But he says, store it up in heaven, where these things will not happen. Why? He tells us. Because where our hearts are at, or where our treasures are at, our hearts will be as well. And kind of think of it this way. These treasures, these things, if they become idols in our hearts, this can create a formidable barrier for if we haven't entered into a relationship with Christ, it presents a real barrier. But if we have, it presents a real barrier to that relationship. And we could settle for what would be called the bland middle way, so to speak. And you might go, well, Andy, what does that mean? Well, one example would be 
Take any of us. Set us into a very wealthy neighborhood. Give us enough money to live for the rest of our lives very comfortably. Money to go anywhere we want. And there's a real tendency for any thoughts about action for mission, about spreading God's gospel, all that is subdued dramatically. So that's why here Jesus gives this example of the camel through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, I took the time, I, I went and looked up a camel, all right? Now, a camel at his shoulders stands just over six feet. And on his hump, he's about seven to eight feet. He's ten feet long. He weighs between 700 to 13, 1400 pounds. That's the average camel. So you can kind of imagine how hard that would be to get through the eye of a needle. I can't even thread a needle. But he wanted to exaggerate the point. Take this rich young ruler again for just a second. You know, today, if we saw him, he would look like one of the best Christians around. I mean, he's a church leader. He keeps all the commandments. Seems to be a real moral guy. He's asking all the right questions. He's inquisitive. It's almost like, wow, that guy's a real good Christian. But spiritually, he was bankrupt because of where his heart was at. Because of what he held on to, he did not want to let go of. Okay? And that's why in 1 Timothy 6.10, Jesus talks to us about the love of money. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Not a good idea. So, in this portion, in this warning area here in the gospel, it's don't get so satisfied with this life that you do not look forward to eternity in the kingdom of God. Okay? So in verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Now, to look at this, we need to look at it in the light of where they were coming from in their history. And this is why they were so perplexed. Because if you go back into the history of Israel, and they, they held tightly on to like Deuteronomy 28. And in there, it's where God promises material blessings for obedience. So they're sitting there thinking, okay, wait a second now. This rich young ruler, he's got all these material blessings. Which means he must be really obedient which means he must have a lot of God's favor and he must be really close to God. And then the religious leaders of that day, most of them were pretty wealthy and they had positions of status and power. So the disciples are looking at these guys going, hang on a second. I mean, they have all this stuff, so they must be really obedient. And again, because of this, they must be really close to God. So if they can't be saved, who can be? And this is the reason for that question. And Jesus basically was giving them a totally different vision. He was turning their world completely upside down and inside out. And that's why he said, humanly speaking, man cannot 
on his own efforts get into heaven. So we can't get into heaven. It's impossible on our own efforts to get into heaven. As one commentator wrote, it's it's sort of akin to someone on the Titanic rearranging all the deck chairs hoping for a different outcome. Not going to happen. Okay? The good news is, and this is really good news, it's actually great news, it doesn't depend on us. It does not depend on us. And we can see that in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, can't we? Where it says, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no man can boast. So Jesus did the work on the cross for our sins. Now, if we take a look then, in this section which I've titled, The Poverty of Riches and the Riches of Poverty. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. This is in verse 27. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake. You know, it's really neat to have someone like a Peter around, isn't it? I mean, he's the guy that asked the question everybody's thinking but nobody wants to ask. But he asked it. And what's really kind of cool about this is Jesus didn't show any dissatisfaction with the question. So we can deduce from that that it was an appropriate question. That it is legitimate for us to express interest in what it would mean for us and what it does mean for us to follow Jesus. And you know, the, the, the first disciples, they had a unique place and role. And Peter was contrasting themselves to the rich young ruler. So Jesus answers. And what does he say? He tells them that in the future event, when he will rule and reign on this earth, that they will be given given a unique place and authority. But what's also really cool about this is he includes everyone. That includes you who are willing to completely and wholeheartedly surrender to his lordship, who are willing to do whatever he asks. You who are willing or have left family, homes, jobs, when he called or when he calls, 
to do whatever he asks, to go wherever he goes. Now, there might be a temptation here to say, hey, God, got a deal for you. I'll do whatever you ask except you fill in the blank. Okay? That's not what he's saying here. That's not what he is saying here. He wants us to have an open heart for all that he has planned for us. He also, he doesn't want us to be afraid or fear that he's going to ask us to do something or go someplace that we're going to hate. God loves you. He loves you and he wants the best for you. And and all he wants is us to 100% give ourselves to him. To give ourselves 100% to him. He wants us to put Jesus first. So if you're filling in, I should be right there and put Jesus first. And in everything, in everything, build our lives around God. So put him first and build our lives around God. In Matthew 6.33, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to us as well. So he's basically saying, listen, put me first. Seek my kingdom, seek my righteousness, and I will set the course for your life. I will give you the priorities. So I think with this, it's, it's kind of appropriate to, to look at this next statistic here. This might surprise you. 17.7% of Americans attend a Christian church on any given Sunday. That seems pretty low, doesn't it? Wow, it's kind of bleak. Now, 40% say they're regular church attendees, but that doesn't mean they're in church on any given Sunday. So again, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Put Jesus first in everything. Build our lives around God in everything we do. You know, it's kind of easy in a Christian community, isn't it, to worship God, but to build our lives around ourselves, around our interests, around our hobbies, around the things that appeal to us first and foremost. So we have to challenge ourselves. And I think it's appropriate that we challenge ourselves on an ongoing, consistent basis. And one of the first things we should ask ourselves is, what am I striving for? My kingdom or God's kingdom? And what is the evidence? I've got a couple of wheels here to take a look at. One is what I call the me wheel. And that is me in the middle and everything around it. So, 
It's based on what I want. It's based on my will. It's based on the things that I want to put priorities on. It's based on building my life around me. And, oh, I can worship God. I can go to church. I can do like I did in the beginning. I can just kind of, I can do the church thing, okay? I can go through the motions, because that's what I did for a long time. thought I was good. thought I had it all together with that. I was doing what I needed to do. I was clueless. That's the me will. The other will is what I call a God will. That is God in the center. That is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things, family, jobs, church, money, time, ambition, will be given as well. But we're letting God determine our priorities. You know, Nikki Gumbel in the Alpha Course gives a really great example, and I'm going to try to see if I can get this out without bumbling it up. But um, here's the difference, if you will, in a, in a real-life scenario. I want to be the chairman and CEO of Chase Bank. That's my ambition. I want to make $50 million. That's what I want to do in life. I want to make $50 million. Can you imagine getting up to heaven going, God's... So, what'd you do with your life? As if he doesn't know. But he's, what did you do with your life? Well, I was a chairman and CEO of Chase Bank. Wow. It's not like we hadn't had one of those here before. Or, what did you do with your life? Well, I made $50 million. Great. We can play Monopoly. Now, to have that as a secondary ambition, as an example. I want to be the chairman of Chase Bank so that I can have a positive influence on society. I can make a difference. I can make a great difference, and I want, I'm going to do this by first seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. Now that is the God will. Okay? So also ask yourself, what have I been unwilling to give up in order to follow Jesus completely? That's another good question. Another question. What have I been unwilling to turn away from in order to follow Jesus completely? So here's the big idea. The more intensely we live the Christian life, the more cross we will experience, the more resurrection we will experience. So the more we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the more we seek his will for us, the more we will face some level of persecution, opposition, alienation from family or friends, But, the good news in this country is there are a number of countries in this world where the persecution means death. Okay? We don't have that here. 
But the more resurrection we will experience, what does that mean? That means God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and the things that he will do. That's here and now. So let's just take a quick look then about the, at the promise. You will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You know, these words from Jesus says that he is in control of provision. That's what it ensures us. It also says that he is in total control of everything. And only he, because he's in total control of everything, only he can make this promise. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has planned, prepared for those who love him. And then last, verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Here again, Jesus is reversing our order of thinking. On this earth, we look at those who are first. Typically, we place them on pedestals. Those who are famous, those who are wealthy, those who have positions of high status or power. But he's saying, don't be deluded by the standards of this world. He said, because many of those folks, not all, not all, but many of those folks have closed their hearts to him, have closed their hearts to his call. But what he's saying as well is for those who have decided in their hearts, who are willing to be last for the sake of his kingdom, to give that up if they need to, or not to get to a position that may compromise them and their heart for him, then he's saying they will be first. The last will be first. They will be exalted. And again, just remember, it's kind of a question of, well, here on earth, we're here for 70, 80, 90 years, or eternity, okay? And no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I think there's, when we get the kingdom of heaven, it's totally different than what it is, than what we see it and the way we view it in our, in our eyes here. Totally different. We're going to be really surprised. So, next steps. I've written those down for you here. If I can find them. But it's break with the past. This is in Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your mind, your heart, your ambitions, your time, your money. Set your hearts on Christ. Set your minds on Christ. 
Because where your heart and your mind are set determines the course of your life, both now and in eternity.